0: Psalm 147, and I want you to look again at this chapter at an interesting revelation about God and the very interesting way that our Lord says it. Verse 10, it says, He, God, delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. Can I ask you a question? What do you think that it is in all of God's creation that gives the Lord pleasure and delight? What is it in this vast universe of His that He Himself is most interested in and draws enjoyment from? Now we know He's interested in the cosmos. Look at verse 4. He telleth, that means He counts the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. That's amazing. We also know that he cares for cattle. He even cares for the unclean birds. Look at verse 9. He giveth to the beast his food and to the young ravens which cry. And so it is not, beloved, that he doesn't care. It is not that he's not interested in the glories of creation that he himself calls good in Genesis chapter 1. No, this is a study in contrast. This is a reminder of how different God is from man. And why that difference is something that all of us must first see and then embrace. It is indeed a revelation about God that's not just interesting, but it is glorious and it is life-changing. You see verse 3, right? It says, He healeth the broken in heart. He bindeth up their wounds. Well, there's your contrast. He counts the billions and billions of stars that he made, but he heals thee, the broken heart. And I'm telling you, folks, there's some amazing truth for us here in today's text. And I just pray that in every way we will hear it and we will receive it to his honor and to his glory. Let's pray together. Shall we, Father, please help us now. And we thank you for reminding us that you've always been faithful reminding us now at this moment that your word is faithful and true and as we open our hearts to it may any and every distraction and any sin anything father between us and you please help us there be nothing between us so that we can hear exactly what the spirit has to say to this church in this moment and every believer in jesus name amen there are three great reminders in psalm 147 that we know god's people need we know that Christians need amidst this current state of affairs in our society. You know, the past two weeks, the shiny new object for our media and a lot of Americans is this unknown singer in Virginia who shot the number one on all of the music charts overnight. They even mentioned him more than once at the presidential debates on, on Wednesday. And so I heard that and I thought, well, I'll just read the lyrics and see what the buzz is all about. And so I did. And then I read the lyrics of another song and another song and another song. And you know, all it did was remind me that people will latch on to anything. People will grasp, they will elevate and glory in anything as a source of hope or meaning in a moment. I mean, I came of age when Bob Dylan was all the rage. As a young man, as a teenager, and I remember everyone said that Dylan's songs were going to, quote, change the world. And they hailed him back then as a prophet and a genius. And even then, as a kid, I didn't get it. I mean, he could rhyme, but to me, he couldn't sing. How many times must a man walk down, right? I mean, (laughs) I can do that. (laughs) And of course, his lyrics did not change the world. It didn't even change my high school. You know what changes people? What changes people is truth. Jesus said, the truth shall make you free. And again, it's a reminder that that people are looking and that clinging to anything for a sense of meaning or hope or identity. And it brings us then to the Word of God. And for this morning, three things in today's text I want us to consider very carefully. The first thing we notice, number one, is a lesson of glory. And specifically this, what is big to man is small to God. Verse 10 again. He, the Lord, delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. Now, of course, this is not true of Man. Man does glory in the strength and the power and the speed of animals and humans. It's why automakers try to enhance the image of a profit or a product rather by naming their car a Mustang or a, a Bronco or a Colt or a Mighty Ford Pinto. <laughs> if I were an Appaloosa horse, I'd be offended for naming that car after me, right? But there is a reason. There is a reason men glory in the strength of a horse. It is arguably God's most noble creature. And yes, they take pleasure in the legs of a man for athletic and military and constructive purposes. I can tell you for certain that's why a lot of our culture lives for the fall season. NCAA football, the NFL, the World Series, speed and power are what people glory in, but not the Lord. I can still remember when the Miami Heat dominated the NBA in 2006. And you may remember the home games would start with smoke and these lasers. And Shaquille walks out, seven foot, one inch tall, and his voice over the PA says, here comes the Shaq attack. And everybody goes crazy in the, in the stadium. The shark attack. But in heaven, it would sound more like "Here comes the shark attack," (laughs) right? Like the Chicago Bulls, "Let's get ready to rumble." But in heaven, it's "Let's get ready to rumble." Gabriel says to Noah, "What did he say?" "Let's get ready to." Noah says, "Let's get ready to rumble." All right. Again, what's big to man? What man glories in, what's big to man, is small to God. And folks, God wants us to know that. As a matter of fact, it is critical for us to know that, lest we glory in the wrong thing. Which brings us to the second thing in the text. Number one, there's a lesson of glory. What's big to man is small to God. Number two, you'll notice, there's a lesson of grace. What's small to man is big to God. Verse 10 again. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. Can I ask you a question? Who's hoping in God's mercy today? Well, it's not the big diesel when he's about to win game six of the NBA finals. It's not Pharaoh who gloried in his mighty horses and his chariots. No, people hoping God's mercy and people fear the Lord, those are the ones who need His mercy and who are humble enough to trust His power. Look at verse 6. He says, The Lord lifteth up the meek. Peter quoted that text. James quoted that text. Now think about this for a moment. The meek. What God delights in, what God takes pleasure in, and is moved by is not our abilities. It's certainly not our achievements. This past Thursday, a few days ago, Noah Lyles ran the 100 meter winning the gold at 9.83 seconds. So he's earned the title for now fastest man alive. Now of course, Usain Bolt ran the 100 meter even faster at 9.58. Fastest legs ever recorded. Remember, Hussein? And while men and women are in all of that, what God is looking at and what God is taking joy in is this little person over here whose legs barely even work, but whose heart is humble before God. Put it this way. You see verse 4? He telleth or counteth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. great is the Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Infinite? Yeah, that's God. And you know what? That all-power, powerful, infinite, and all-knowing God, He is not preoccupied with men or horses setting records in a circle. He's not looking down and saying, that's awesome. What He delights in is verse 3. He healeth the broken in heart. He bindeth up their wounds. What's small to man, beloved, is big to God. Do you realize, now think about that picture right there that God uses in His Word of Himself. Because you'll realize that if you're binding somebody's wounds, ask a doctor, a surgeon, or a nurse in this room, if you're binding somebody's wounds, you're as close and personal as you could ever get to that person. That is truly personal hands-on or hearts-on? And who's the one leaning over and giving care to somebody's heart and somebody's wounds? It is the all-powerful, infinite creator of the universe. M.P. Ferguson wrote about this text and he said, with his healing hand on a broken heart and the other on a star, our wonderful God views the miles apart and they seem not very far. In other words, the physician who attends to the broken heart and to the wounds of a sin-sick soul, that physician is infinite in his wisdom. And if he counts and he names all of the stars of heaven, then he certainly knows your name. And therefore, he knows your heart. Think about it this way. On a clear night, this psalmist could go outside, look into the sky, and with his human eyes, he could possibly count 3,000 stars. Not easy, but not impossible either. And if he had a photographic memory, he could even remember all of those stars. But guess what? The Holy Spirit who inspired these words knew something about verse 4 that the psalmist himself did not know. He knew that in addition to the 3,000 stars that he could see in his half of the sky... That on the opposite side of the earth, at night there, a person could see an additional 3,000 stars. So that's 6,000 stars seen with a naked eye. And those are just the brightest stars, obviously. Because we're reminded that whenever you point a telescope, and I had one in high school. When you point a telescope into the sky where you cannot see any stars, it's just black. Through that telescope, there are multitudes and multitudes of them. In fact, astronomers tell us through a telescope with a three-inch lens, over 600,000 stars suddenly come into view. That's a lot of names for God to remember. But wait a minute. Because it is also true that the largest telescopes, you know, the huge observatories and now space telescopes, one lens over three billion stars can now be observed. Three billion. So guess what? After all of these decades of looking and counting with our computers and, again, our space telescopes, how many stars do astronomers believe are burning up in the sky? I'll read it to you. There are at minimum 200 billion billion stars in the known universe. Two hundred. Billion times billion, that's a two followed by 20 zeros. As a matter of fact, the Milky Way alone has over 100 billion stars, and the Milky Way is only one of a billion galaxies, we're told. Now, wait a minute. What does the Bible say? He counteth them and he calleth them all by name. You know, I have a hard time remembering names in the hundreds, some of you. But the Bible declares that God counts the names and all of the stars in creation at least two hundred billion, billion. How can he do that? Well, verse five, great is our Lord of great power. His understanding is infinite. So here's the question. What's the significance of God's infinite knowledge? What does it mean? Why does it even say this, that God counts and names 20 billion billion stars, that he's omnipotent? Well, yes. That he's omniscient? Yes. That he's the creator? Yes. The heavens truly do declare the glory of God and the firmament truly does show his handiwork. All of that is stated in this text to tell us that he's not just the physician. He's the great physician. To put it in human terms, beloved, he wouldn't go across the street to watch a horse or a man break a world record. But he would go to the other side of the world to rescue a sheep. He would go into the highest mountain to mend a broken heart. And why? Verse 11. Because the Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and in those that hope in his mercy. You see, beloved, the reason why God tells us about the stars and his infinite wisdom and his infinite power is to remind us not only of why he's not impressed and why he doesn't take great joy over some Olympic record, but why it matters that he looks to every human heart that is humble and trusting and seeking him. It is because he knows your name. He knows your need. He knows your future. He knows your individual heart. You know, there's a very beautiful picture in one of our astronomy books of our galaxy, the Milky Way. And it's always impressed me, it's very impressive with its clouds and billions of stars spinning in that sort of circular motion out in the darkness of space. And among those billions of stars, which again is almost always pictured as a great cloud, you you have the sun and the planets of our little solar system. And then toward the left of that picture, they've placed an arrow, an arrow that points down to a teeny, tiny, almost unseeable dot. It's a speck in this huge depiction of our own galaxy. And by the arrow, it says Earth. That's Earth. I know the first time I saw that, I thought there's another arrow that's pointing down that the book doesn't have. It is an arrow in this great and vast universe that God himself has made. And it is an arrow from the perspective of God and from heaven. And it points directly down to your you. You see, Pastor, 200 billion, billion stars and all of this universe comes down in God's mind to my heart. Yeah, the Bible says he healeth thee broken in heart when that heart is humble before him. I want you to notice on the screen this familiar text, Isaiah 61. It says the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Now wait a minute. In Luke chapter 4, the Lord Jesus, the creator of the stars and the universe. He walks into his hometown synagogue in Nazareth and with every eye fastened on him, the Bible says, Jesus takes the scroll and he turns to this passage in Isaiah. He takes the scroll, he opens it up and he reads out loud to all of the people, verses one and two, and then he declares that he himself, as God in the flesh, is fulfilling that prophecy that he has come to bind the brokenhearted. So then, in other words, look, the God who created and numbers and names the stars. The same God who is of great power and infinite understanding. This God saw the broken heart of man's sin. He saw the condition of man's heart. In the marring of His great creation. creation. And this God, He did not send an ambassador down to this earth. He did not send an angel or a messenger to heal the broken heart. Oh, no, no. He stepped out of glory. He stepped out of glory. And He stepped into this dark, sinful world because He delights. He takes pleasure in binding the wounds and healing the broken hearts. You know, all the rejoicing in Luke's gospel over the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. The one thing that all three of those have in common is the rejoicing. Rejoice with me. The joy, that's the common denominator. You realize that all of those tears of joy over the prodigal who came back, all of that was to illustrate the father's joy. It was all to picture God's delight whenever one person, one sinner, hopes in God's mercy. One of our dearest men went home to be with the Lord this morning, Brother Bob Cook. Sat here for years and years with Margie. If you've ever been to his home, you may have seen on his wall a sort of crude-looking microchip in a frame. It is actually the first ever prototype of the integrated circuit. When Bob graduated Georgia Tech as an engineer, he went to Texas Instruments. And in 1958, with the legendary Jack Kilby, they invented the first ever integrated circuit. It was proprietary, otherwise he would have been a billionaire. And the reason why they did it is the Mercury Project We're sending up these rockets into space, but these rockets had the old vacuum tubes in their computers, and they kept failing, just like our old TV. I remember my dad on his hands and knees pulling tubes out and putting vacuum tubes back in to get the TV working, same exact thing. And you know, if you've seen the documentary or read the history of Silicon Valley or TI, you know that Bob Cook helped change the world. He led the way in the first semiconductors. Not only did Mercury successfully launch into space, come back, and then John Glenn, and then we we actually went to the moon. But computers would never be the same. And I remember the first time I saw that little circuit in in his home, and then I obviously read everything I could about it and saw the documentary about it. I remember I was in awe. But let me remind you what it is that delighted God. Let me remind you what it is that gives pleasure in heaven. It began when Bob Cook humbled his heart and became a child of God. Bob taught Sunday school, 5th and 6th grade boys, and some of those young boys are in ministry today. So that you know what? It is not that Bob Cook helps in rockets into the sky. It is rather that he himself was carried by the angels of God past the sky into God's presence today. And that one day his new body will rise and sail beyond those stars. Some glad morning, when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. To a home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. Just a few more weary days, and then I'll fly away. To a land where joy shall never end, I'll fly away. That was one of Margie Cook's favorite songs. And the glory of it is that it is all true. We said, number one, there's a lesson of glory. What's big to man is small to God. Number two, there's a lesson of grace. What's small to man is big to God. And then number three, I want you to notice quickly a lesson of gratitude. What is good to God is good for man. Look at Psalm 147, the first verse, the first words. It says, praise ye the Lord. That's one word in the Hebrew. It's the word hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Now, what is the first word and therefore the first line in the previous Psalm, Psalm 146? Look at it. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. What is the first line of the next chapter, Psalm 48? Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. What about the first line, the last line? Praise ye the Lord of Psalm 148. What about the first line of Psalm 149? Praise ye the Lord. What about the last line of Psalm 149? Praise ye the Lord. What about the first line of Psalm 150? Praise ye the Lord. What about the last words of the entire book of Psalms? Again, Psalm 150. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. You see, folks, what's beautiful, what's pleasant, both in the eyes of God and man, is this Psalm 147, again, verse 1. This is how the whole Psalm begins Praise ye the Lord, for it is good. To sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant. That's the same word as pleasure in verse 11. It is pleasant and praise is comely or beautiful. What does God delight in? What is beautiful to God? What does he take pleasure in? What is pleasant to God, which ought to be beautiful and pleasant to us? It's thanksgiving. It's gratitude. It's praise. Look at verse 7. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp of our God. There's those strings again. Amen. Folks, an American songwriter can achieve overnight fame by singing about Richmond, north of Richmond. And songs of grievance are valid and understandable from the world's perspective. But you know what's transcendent? Do you know what's eternal and glorious and life-changing? Songs of praise. A life of thanksgiving and gratitude to a God who is always good. What is transcendent is a heart of humility and faith and gratitude. To this man will I look. Remember that great text in Isaiah? When God says, all these things have I made... I made all of this. But I don't set my calendar and wait and look for the Ryder Cup. I do that in September. All these things I have made, and then in the very next breath, God says, to this man will I look, even to him that is of a contrite spirit and who trembleth at my word. That's who pleases God. This is what God takes pleasure in. This is what actually the scripture says gives God joy. He rejoiced that he found that sheep. He rejoiced so much so that he wept tears of joy when his son came back. She rejoiced when she found the coin. I asked this question this morning. As a Christian, as a believer first, are you living a life of gratitude? and thanksgiving to God because as God looks down that's what gives him joy that's what pleases God praise ye the Lord praise ye the Lord hallelujah 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 over and over and over again it's not an accident is a life that honors and thanks God for who he is and what he's done for us and are you hoping in God If God doesn't take pleasure in the the legs of a man or the strength of a horse, and it says he looks down and he takes pleasure in those who hope in his mercy, are you hoping? Where's your trust? Your portfolio? The President of the United States? God says, I take pleasure when I look down and I see my people who are singing songs of gratitude, who are living... With hearts of thanksgiving, and then I see them hoping in my mercy because my mercy's new every morning and it's everlasting to everlasting. That means he knows you're hoping in the right thing. For those in this room and who are watching by live stream, let me say this to you God does not glory in your good works. In fact, the Bible says that all of those are filthy rags in his sight. If you're lost and you don't know Jesus as Savior and you're trying to earn your way to heaven and church membership and your abilities and you're strong and you're awesome and you're this, God doesn't look down in in glory at all. He does look down and He sees whether or not you have accepted or rejected His Son, Jesus. And what God accepts, what God receives and takes pleasure in is when one person humbles themselves and says I'm not worthy I need to be saved I need the blood of Jesus my good works my church membership none of that's going to save me but when God sees a broken heart who receives Christ as Lord and Savior God looks out there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels when that happens and if you're here today and that's you you've never been saved and you walk out those doors and you say nah it's an affront to God it's a rebellion against God. It's a prideful heart that says, I don't need Jesus. I don't need him sending his son to die for my sins. He takes no pleasure in that. But he will receive you if you will receive his son. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes closed for just a moment. God delighteth not in the strength of a horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The things that impress us do not press God. No, the Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. The scripture says in our text that it is beautiful, it is comely, and it is pleasant to sing praises to God, to be grateful, to live a life of gratitude for all that you have. That's why we say at every service just sort of Every morning, almost every night, are you glad you're saved? Because that's gratitude. Are you glad? Yes, yes, yes. Pastor Blalock, I'm here today, and I'm a Christian by God's grace and mercy. I have every reason to be grateful now and for eternity. I've hoped in God's mercy. I've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, but I needed this text today. I needed this reminder. Look, if you see... Anything in our society when they jump on something in mass like sheep and they hope for this and they hope for that and they hope this candidate will solve their problems and they hope that this musician will do this. Always remember that God wants you to hope in his mercy and trust in his word. Pastor, I'm here today and I'm a Christian, but I needed this message today as a child of God. Maybe it's just living a life of gratitude. I mean, praise you the Lord, praise you the Lord, hallelujah, all all day long. That's what it's supposed to be because God is good all day long. I'm saved today, but I needed this as a Christian. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building as children of God and amen and amen? Yes, and I raised mine. As we noted earlier, there are some in this room, if not many, and some watching at home or wherever you are, and you're not saved. But you would say, Preacher, I'm not sure that if I died today, I'd be in heaven, but I want to be sure my name's written there. I want to be sure that I'm saved. Could we pray for you? I won't come down and embarrass you, but I would love to pray for you. Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure I'm saved, but would you pray for me that I could be sure? Who would say that? Would you lift your hand in the room? Yes, ma'am. God bless you, and amen to that, and amen. Yes, and you as well. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? God bless you. We're going to pray in a moment and have a time of invitation. And if God has spoken to your heart, we do this every Sunday. Brother Andy will be here at the front. If you want to speak with someone, we would love to take the Bible and show you what it means to be saved. Christians, this is an altar here. We talked on Wednesday about altars. They were public. They were a symbol of someone's dependence upon God. And you can use this altar as well. Father in heaven, bless the invitation. We thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us what really matters what really truly matters for now and eternity and I ask God that our affections will be your affections that yours will be ours I ask father that what we value will be what you have already valued what we seek is what you've told us to seek first the kingdom of God bless those who've asked for prayer for those who are not saved several hands went up Lord on this Lord's day morning and we pray for them father They will open their hearts to Jesus even in this hour, this moment. We'll praise you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.